Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we come before you this now. We ask you to, again, speak to us as your word is opened and as the truth is taught. May, may, we, may our hearts and our minds be open to receiving what you have. Pray that you bless Brother John and this message that he has prepared. Help him to share what you would have him to, to speak. And may you just guide him and give him direction. And we thank you that we can gather like this. And we want to be fed by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning again. Welcome to everyone here. I want to take the time to thank Lance for his boldness in Sunday school and not being scared to share how he feels there. I know for myself, the, the study of, and I guess the rest of you are in youth class and ladies class are also studying the same thing. The study of the end times has always intrigued me. Um, I think I can speak for more of you when I say that one of my frustrations in that type of study is that it always seems to, uh, if someone takes the time to study it and to share it, they seem to have always formed an extremely strong opinion one way or the other. And I know for myself, I would love to hear, um, if I may call it a presentation or something, of where there would be at least the three main options, viewpoints, if they're not options, um, given with the background behind all of those, and I have yet to be able to find someone to do that. And sometimes I've found that when you want something done, the only person to do it is yourself. So I would invite you guys' feedback. Um, I would, I say this maybe as much for accountability for myself so I get it done, to possibly, winter when I have more time, um, look into that. Uh, try and look at the different viewpoints and give the verses, the backgrounds for each one and to present it as a documentary, which is supposed to be a non-opinionated viewpoint. So anyway, maybe that'll happen, maybe not. I would invite your feedback. Um, I would invite resources, preferably thinner, not thicker. Um, I guess part of my problem is even know, I don't consider myself an expert, and even know where to go to find that. Um, I had to think of back in the Civil War, there were those that... Uh, wore a blue coat and brown pa or, uh, gray pants, and they got shot from both sides. So <laughs> I don't want that. Anyway, that's not what today's subject is. Um, today, hope is a little less controversial, maybe not. Um, I assume most of you read the sermon title in the bulletin, Religion or Relationship. <clears throat> and I guess my question is, which best describes your Christianity, your, how you uh, follow God. Maybe that seems like an obvious answer, or maybe we think it should be an obvious answer. And even if the answer seems obvious to you or you're well established as to which it is, I would invite you to you know, bear with me this morning and follow along, and I'll give you um, a chance for some input as well. Sometimes our viewpoint on something might just simply be that of a viewpoint, and sometimes there is value in revisiting that view, viewpoint, maybe to further clarify or strengthen in 
our minds, uh, maybe to adjust it slightly, and maybe to better understand someone else's viewpoint. Um, so let's look at the word religion first. And here again, your opportunity. Can someone give me a definition of the word religion or religious, whichever way you want to go with it there? What's the definition off the top of your head? That's correct. Yeah, and I don't mean it just as Christianity. Just when, when you hear the word religion, what do you think of? Okay, thank you. Very basic. True, very true. Good. Anything else? So Christianity is a religion. No? Okay. <laughs> Nobody's bold enough to speak out here. Okay. So I was curious to see which way your answers would come. And I, I, I respect because those answers are all very much correct. But I think we could also agree that the word religion tends to carry a more traditional, uh, formal, and possibly even a cold feeling to it. Would you, would you disagree with that? There be some truth in that. When you hear the word religion, it, it's it's anyway. The the dictionary, um, possibly not as biased as we might be. It says a the system and worship of God or the supernatural. So again, what Josh said, uh, it includes the others, but actually primarily looks at God first. That was interesting there. A commitment or devotion to religious faith or observance a personal set or institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices, a cause, principle, or system of beliefs held to with commitment, zeal, and faith. Now, that doesn't sound too bad. I think, like you said, maybe, like I said, the dictionary may be a little less biased about the word religion than we might be sometimes. Um, Serving, worshiping God, I hope that describes us. Uh, devotion and commitment, I hope we have that as well. Personal convictions, as well as being part of a church body who shares those convictions. Again, that's certainly, I believe, our goal here at Crystal Valley. And fourthly, a commitment and a zeal to live out those convictions. That all sounds pretty good, really. Um, like I said, possibly the dictionary had, had fewer personal biases about the word religion than some of us might, um, based on our life experiences. But if we're honest with ourselves, too often the word religion or a, a religion can become cold and formal. And I have three ways that that can happen. And these are not all completely original with me. I'm thankful for others who share what they have learned so that more of us can benefit from what they have learned. Um, the first is to become a nominal Christian. And I looked that word up, the word nominal. And it means, among other things, to exist or be something in name or form only. And I think we would find this in a lot of religions, um, would be more like an orthodox or an ethnic religion, where it's simply that's the way you were born, that's what you are, because that's what your, your uh, parents and grandparents were. It's just simply, I'm a, I don't want to pick on anyone, but I'm a Catholic because that's, we've always been Catholics. Um, that's just simply the way it is. 
So I have a couple of scriptures this morning. You can follow along if you choose to. I don't have any main passage, but I have a, a number of smaller passages here. Um, first one is Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 through 46. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then, he will also answer, then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked? Or sick and in prison, and did not minister to you. And he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into, ever, into eternal life. But Jesus was obviously speaking here to a group of people who were surprised to be addressed in this way. Um, by their response, we can assume they thought they were good Christians. Um, they had nailed their religion, but they were unaware that they had missed the second part, the relationship that we'll get to in a bit. And Jesus, unfortunately, turned them away. He said, you guys say you are who you are, um, but you really did not live out your religion. If I may point fingers and say I believe their religion was one of name only. It was a formal title that they carried, but they really did not live that out in the way that Christianity should be lived. Uh, second passage, Mark chapter 7. Oops. Mark chapter 7, the first eight verses. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem, now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands in a special way, holding a tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper kettles, or copper, copper vessels, and couches, which is kettles. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands. He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Jesus here is speaking to the scribes and Pharisees, people who were deeply committed to upholding their religion. Unfortunately, as Jesus pointed out to them, they had become so obsessed with their religious traditions that they had elevated them equal to or above God himself. Verse 7 has always been a very sobering verse to me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. We stop and think about what that's actually saying. Um, the New Living says, For they teach man-made ideas as commandments from God. They have, they have um, come up with religious ideas, ways of doing things, and they have elevated them to the same level as the commandments from God. People who are nominal Christians do all the things we would expect a Christian to do, as we know the Pharisees here. They adhere to a religious system. They learn the behaviors they need to practice in order to be accepted and approved by the group. They know what words and what terms to use and what not to use. Uh, 
They learn what to wear, what not to wear. They learn where to be and the right times to be there. They adhere to the group's expectations and so appear to be doing well. Good exterior behavior, but little if anything is happening in their hearts. And unfortunately, um, that is missing the point here. So not to belabor this, but I think you know what I'm talking about here, um, to where we become so focused on our traditions, our ways of doing things, that we actually elevate those to the same level as what the Bible teaches. And Jesus is very clear here that that is not what he is looking for. The second is individualism, and we're probably more familiar with that word. It's often used to describe a person who looks out primarily for himself. He has his own goals, agendas, even his own sense of right and wrong sometimes. Generally, that type of person struggles to work closely with those around him. Uh, in a work setting, um, whatever setting, he does, he's not a good team player. In a church setting, he might even earn the reputation of being slightly rebellious. Um, doesn't always work good in a church setting either. And we're familiar in comparison to 1 Corinthians 12 of the church being a human body. I won't take the time to read all that. But we know the eyes, the ears, the hands, the feet, they are not all like each other. And yet, <clears throat> each part uses its respective abilities to benefit the rest, while at the same time relying on the rest for its own survival. So I think that's an interesting picture. Um, the eye would ever be mistaken for a hand, and yet the eye relies on the hand to do what it has to do. And so while each one is given its respective jobs, and it is an individual, the eye is an individual, it's not the hand, um, I have heard the church described as a loaf of bread. I tend to think that the body might be a more accurate description of where a loaf of bread has very few distinguishing qualities from one end to the other. And I don't think that describes how God created us with our personalities to interact in the church here. Anyway, so while that's true on a horizontal level, it takes an even different appearance when that individualism is applied to a person's relationship with God, to a vertical relationship from an individualist point of view, a person serves God for what he receives in return. God is looked at as an investment. I expect to see a return on the effort I put into being a Christian. If I serve God, he will bless me. If those blessings stop, so does my commitment to him. I expect God to behave in a certain way in response to my good deeds. This essentially puts me, not God, in control and God is then obligated to serve me because of what I do for him. And in the end, this makes me God because I am the one being served. And I'm sure we can see where the danger comes from that mindset. The third is minimalism. Again, a very familiar word. I was surfing the, yeah, one of those. And I was invited to join a group of minimalists. I didn't. Um, we hear it a lot today, people who put a lot of effort into having as little as possible. Is that a good way to describe it? I don't know. Um, on the one hand, I think it's a good thing. Um, extra clutter in one's life usually just complicates things. And extra clutter, if I may call it that, in religion also complicates and confuses things there. But minimalism, like individualism, can also be selfish at its core. I said can be. If I only have enough for me, do I have enough to share with you? 
Um, sometimes that person simply does with less, but often he or she consciously or unconsciously rides on the efforts of others. It's relatively easy to be minimalist if others have provided a solid infrastructure to rely on. I don't need a pickup truck if my dad has one. <laughs> Simple example. Who's looking at who here? <laughs> but there's just a, a quick example. So how does that look in a spiritual sense? A minimalist is always asking, is this necessary? Is this essential? Do I have to worry about this? It seems like extra clutter. Um, is this a salvation issue? If not, then does it matter? Must I do this or that to get into heaven? If I can't do this or that, will it keep me out? If not, then I don't see it as being very important. Again, there's a certain value in stripping away, as we just read here in Mark 7, the extra clutter, the washing of hands. Jesus stripped that away as well and said that is not essential. Um, both in our spiritual lives, our daily lives, I think there's a, a value in decluttering. But if our goal is to do as little as possible for God, that quickly does turn selfish. Those of you that are married, um, you take the approach, how little can I do before my wife divorces me? Um, how does that work? Or maybe you're not, hopefully I haven't tried that. But how little can I get by on and still, still make it? Um, that doesn't work in your marriage. It doesn't work at the job. And it does not work um, in your relationship with God as well. He's looking for more than just the minimal that we give him. I think we can see that while religion has a lot of good, it provides structure, direction, even purpose for a person. Without any relationship, it quickly becomes cold, indifferent, selfish, or even harsh. So I asked for your, I asked for your definition of religion. I'd like to hear your definitions of relationship. You guys don't have time to study, so that's good, because you just would have come off the top here. What's a relationship? Or what does relationship mean? There's no wrong answers here. It does, but what is it? But, but, but what? What is it? I know it takes time. What, what is it? What takes time? What takes effort? It takes more than one person. Okay. A relationship is a connection. Okay, thank you. Personal connection. Okay. Friendship, okay. Understanding each other. Okay. Thank you. Okay, dictionary again says the way in which two or more concepts, objects, and people are connected. So I'm, I'm encouraging you to think a little broader here in relationships. Yes, it's how you and your wife get along or you and your girlfriend or whatever, but it's simply the way the, it uses the word binding, alliance, associate, association. Um, like I said, sometimes we use the word in a romantic sense, but it's much, much broader than that. I might simply say it's any way that two things or people affect each other. Um, and I'm going to use the example of the sun, the moon, and the earth. So the sun has a, has a relationship with the earth. Uh, day and night, summer, winter, even life itself, all happen because of the sun's relationship to the earth. Now most of that is a one-sided relationship. I'm not aware that the earth really affects the sun in any way. I could be wrong here. Someone correct me on that. I don't think the earth affects the sun. So that relationship is largely one-sided. We are takers, if you please, from the sun's benefits. The earth and the moon, on the other hand, have a more equal effect on each other. <clears throat> the, 
The earth keeps the moon in orbit. The earth's gravity keeps the moon from running off somewhere. While the moon, in effect, in turn, affects the tides in the ocean. And I'm told steadies the tilt of the earth. I didn't know this which helps keep our seasons more consistent. So I don't know quite how that, I don't study how that works, but I guess it, it keeps summer and winter coming as they should. And without the moon's uh, gravitational pull, the earth would get a little out of whack sometimes and summer would come at the wrong time. I don't know. Uh, interesting. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that. So as we see, some relationships affect both parties and some primarily just the one. So which way is it with us and God? Um, are we like the sun and the earth, where the sun is the source of life itself and determines nearly all the functions of the earth? Is that how we look at God? He's just simply there to provide all I need, and I just soak it up. Or like the earth and the moon, um, where both affect the other. So in our relationship with God, do we affect him as well, or does he strictly affect us? I don't know. I, I don't have answers here. I'm here from some of you guys again. Do we affect God? You understand that? You don't believe so. So God is strictly the sun shining down on us, and and He feels no effect from us. Well, when when we when we disobey Him, uh, uh, he, he, He's not pleased with us. So that does affect Him a little bit, or maybe a lot. It doesn't change who He is. That's correct. Okay, okay. Okay. Which would... Do we, do we change God's mind? Okay. Okay. I think an emotion that's interesting to study is God's anger. It says the wrath is like something made God upset. He was jealous. And then something can defer that as well, then push that off then. Okay, we'll come back to that maybe a little bit more. So our relationship to God has multiple levels or layers. I don't want to say multiple steps, but multiple, multiple levels or layers that make it different from relating to other people. Now, I know as humans, um, we have different levels of relationship as well, but i got a couple of them here I want to look at. Um, the first is a servant, and Matthew chapter 20 Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and on your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, We are able. And he said, So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. Well, a lot of baptisms. But to sit at my right hand on my left must, is not mine to give, but is for those to whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. For whoever decides to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. 
So this mother came and thought that she knew what would be best for her sons. And she was looking for a position, a relationship, if you pleased, um, sitting on Jesus' right and left hand. Now, in, in their time, obviously, um, the king would have his right-hand man, his left-hand man, and they would be nearly, as nearly equal as possible with that king. That's what she had in mind. But Jesus' mind immediately went to a much different mental picture than the mother had here, uh, that of his upcoming time on the cross with a man on the right and the left. And he knew they were not ready for that. They would not be able to endure what it took to achieve that position. Instead, he asked them to start as a servant. Uh, Certainly a much more humble position than they had in mind. Generally, the servants did not sit on the right and left of the king. We might not think of a servant and a master of having a relationship. or Maybe we think it's just simply selfish and one-sided, and too often in a human sense it is. But here Jesus is saying that serving, not lording over, ruling over someone, is a way to build a relationship. And a few chapters later, um, he demonstrates the servant's role by washing their feet, a very practical way that he did that. We won't turn to that this morning here. The second layer is being a disciple. A disciple is simply a follower of a leader or teacher. And while a disciple may be called or chosen, acceptance is more voluntary than being forced to be a slave. So we're moving ahead here. A slave often in that day was forced. And so their idea of being a slave or a servant was very um, undesirable because it was a position that no one really wanted to be. And he obviously called them to that. But then here, a disciple is a more desirable position. Um, Still a follower, but it is accepted voluntarily versus being forced. A disciple felt honored to be chosen to follow, follow a particular teacher or leader. It became his entire life, traveling, eating, sleeping together with the teacher and the fellow disciples. If we were to look at the verses where Jesus called his disciples, in nearly all of them, it says they immediately dropped whatever they were doing and left all to follow him. And like they literally, they were fishing and they just simply abandoned their nets and they left. And um, the idea, I don't know if that was just the accepted way or if it was that great of an honor to be called to be a disciple, that everything else took second nature, took second priority, And they left all and followed. A disciple's relationship is primarily a desire to learn as much as he can from his teacher and to become nearly as like him as possible. Jesus' call was then to spread that relationship to others. And if we look at the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, as Jesus was leaving, he gave his last advice. 28 verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The next level is Son, John chapter 1. We're moving, we're moving up in status here, if I may say that. Uh, we went from a slave to a disciple, now we're up to a son or a child. Son is used in the non-gender Um, way here. John chapter 1, uh, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe on his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of man, of the flesh, 
but of the will, nor the will of man, but of God. So God chose them to be sons, nothing of their own doing. Uh, Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Indeed, we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. We know Jesus' mission here on earth was to redeem us and open the way for us to be adopted. And we could talk more about what that word means, but I think we all know what that is. Um, We were not naturally born as sons and daughters of God. We were actually adopted. Um, There's a process today. There was a process that he's referring to here to become sons and daughters. And we also know that adopted um, puts a person same as a biological child. There is no difference once they have gone through the adoption process. A child is more than a slave, more than a disciple. A child is part of the family, an heir to any and all inheritance. And he or she is loved not because of what they have done, but because of who they are. And such is our relationship as children of God. Last of all is friend. John chapter 15, verse 15. Jesus talking to his disciples here again. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friend, for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So there are no secrets with friends. They share life openly with each other. And I'm not saying that the love between friends or parent and child is greater. That's, that it's different. It's not really a, a comparison there. I'm not suggesting that we also move through these different levels of relationship with God. Instead, I think we kind of stack them up. They grow on top of each other, and they intertwine with each other, and we continue through all of them. We never stop serving him or following him, but we grow up to resemble him as a son might do. We also grow closer and understand him as friends do. When you think of friends, um, close friends, you're not scared to share with them um, if you have a bad day as well as a good day. And maybe what that bad day consists of, being honest with your friends. God wants us to be honest with him as we would be with the friends. Some days we're frustrated with our friends. Um, some days we're frustrated with God. And I think, uh, I think he wants to hear that sometimes and to be able to talk through that, work through that. And in doing so, to strengthen our friendship, not just bottle it up. Back to my question earlier, um, I had to think of the song, I'll Be a Friend to Jesus. And I'm not suggesting we sing that, but I think you know what that song means. And I had to ask the question, when I, when I, whenever we sing that song, does Jesus need our friendship? Back to my original question. I, re- I realize that in a lot of the, what's mentioned in that song, Jesus is here in his earthly form, and so he is a man, and so he did, to a certain degree, need human friendship. Does Jesus need our friendship today? He has ascended back into heaven. He is no longer a man. Um, does he require our friend? Require? Yeah. Um, are we like the sun and the moon, where there's, there's mutual effects on each other? Or, I'm sorry, the earth and the moon, 
Or is he simply like the Son who provides us with all we need, but is not affected by our presence? Um, so I'm going to open that question real quick. Does Jesus need friends? He created man? For fellowship. Okay. So he does still want our friendship today. Okay. Thank you, Bill. Anybody have more to add or a different opinion? But the question is, uh, does he need our friendship? Well, we're called to glorify him if we don't, the rocks and the hills will cry out. So what John is asking is, could he survive without it? He, he might like it, but could he's, I don't know. Um, I, think, I think we could go, yeah, what you're saying, Ken, if he needs it badly enough that the rocks would cry out, then I'm going to suggest that it might be part of his character. So I think in a way that we may not entirely understand, Jesus desires a, a relationship with us, not just for our benefit, but for his too. So let's not look at him as just the distant sun out there, um, put there to benefit me but also to fry me if I get too close. Um, I believe Jesus, God, deserves our worship and our honor and, and respect, but he also wants to be our friend. With those thoughts, let's stand for prayer and then remain standing for the final song here. Father in heaven, thank you for all you have done for us, for creating us, giving us life and breath, and for, for providing for our daily needs. Thank you, too, that you provided a way for us to become your sons and daughters, children who are promised an eternal inheritance. Thank you, too, that you have not just called us to serve you out of fear, but have shown us by example how to serve others. Thank you, too, that you, can, that you desire to be our friend, someone we can trust, someone we can go to share our hardships and our joys. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, one more song. Uh, number 582.